This is KVRX 91.7 Austin, and you are listening to Dialectica, an examination of the civic, political, and economic issues that matter to us all on global, national, and local levels. Dialectica is brought to you by students of the LBJ School of Public Affairs and is produced in partnership with the LBJ Journal of Public Affairs. We hope you enjoy the show. focusing on the North Atlantic Treaty Organization, commonly referred to by its acronym, NATO. NATO is an international treaty-based organization that will be marking its 60th anniversary in 2009. But for many familiar with NATO, there may be little to celebrate, as the organization is deeply involved in combat operations far from its borders, while also attempting to chart a course into the next millennium. The North Atlantic Treaty Organization is an international alliance comprised of 28 nations from Europe and North America. NATO began as an effort to ensure peace on the European continent shortly after World War II, and the North Atlantic Treaty was signed on April 4, 1949. NATO's headquarters are in Brussels, Belgium. Inarguably, the most powerful article of the North Atlantic Treaty is Article 5, which reads, The parties agree that an armed attack against one or more of them in Europe or North America, shall be considered an attack against them all. This provision allows each nation to exercise the right of, quote, collective self-defense, end quote, as recognized by Article 51 of the Charter of the United Nations. In its entire history, Article 5 has been invoked only once, by the United States after the September 11th attacks by Al-Qaeda. Few of the 12 original signatories in 1949 would recognise the NATO of today. In addition to the 28 member nations, there are another 22 partner nations, some who seek full membership and some who don't. For example, Switzerland does not want to become a member of NATO because to do so would compromise its neutrality. On the other hand, Georgia does want to become a member, but due to border disputes with Russia over South Ossetia, Georgia's membership application is on hold. Several of the members now in NATO, such as Romania and the Czech Republic, were once considered NATO's adversaries. And Russia's present partnership with NATO might seem astonishing to Cold War warriors whose careers were focused on protecting NATO nations for over 40 years. In 1949, Russia wasn't an independent nation as much as it was the linchpin of the Union of Soviet Socialist Republics, the USSR. After World War II, as relations between the Allied nations and the Soviet Union collapsed, the Allied nations felt that, above and beyond the new United Nations, there was a need for a pact to stabilise the European continent. Not just to prevent further wars between the European nations, but also to answer the perceived threat from the Soviet Union. From the very outset, NATO's concept of the defence of Europe from a Soviet attack included the rapid deployment and use of nuclear weapons. The build-up of military forces resulted in a Cold War that lasted some 40 years until the collapse of the Soviet Union. The USSR began a slide towards dissolution in 1985 and collapsed completely in December 1991, when the President of the USSR resigned, declared the office extinct, and ceded all powers to the President of Russia. 
During this period of some 40 years, NATO was almost single-mindedly focused on addressing the fear of a mass Soviet invasion. NATO cites its coordination and preparedness as one of the primary reasons war never broke out with the Soviet Union. However, since the fall of the Soviet Union, NATO has been challenged to find an appropriate mission on which to focus. Given its genesis as a child of the Cold War, NATO today has little resemblance to the NATO formed after World War II. NATO no longer has a single purpose, but now faces a world where the threat to its region comes not from other nation-states, but from terrorist and criminal organisations with no clear national affiliation. These organisations are often aligned among religious ideations or ethnic allegiances. NATO must also address the increasing threat of cyber warfare conducted by various criminal organisations, which has the same impact on a nation's infrastructure as a fully-fledged military attack. The challenges are significant, while the stakes are high. As NATO is marking its 60th year in 2009, its senior leadership is struggling with NATO's image. It's trying hard to ensure the organisation isn't viewed as an infirm senior citizen, but rather as a constructive and vibrant young adult within the international community. Yet NATO may already be suffering from poor vision. Senior leaders at NATO suggest the organisation has a role in providing global security, Senior leadership at NATO is also attempting to ensure the organisation's relevance in today's global environment by forging ahead with a new strategic concept. The last strategic concept was adopted 10 years ago, and its development was difficult when NATO only had 16 members. Now NATO's strategic concept will have to incorporate the interests of 28 members, several of whom were once part of the USSR, such as Albania, the Czech Republic and Romania. Some of these new members have few modern resources to contribute towards NATO operations, but what they do have, they contribute as a far larger percentage of their available assets, more so than several long-term members of the NATO alliance. This contributes to existing tensions in the development process. In addition, the new strategic concept will have to contend with threats from non-state groups, such as international terrorists and criminal activities, that pose a regional threat or may require supranational decision-making to thwart. New warfare frontiers that were more theoretical when the last strategic concept was adopted, such as cyber war, will have to be more completely addressed to advance NATO's relevance in the new millennium. The strategic concept will have to balance these often competing realities the task of guiding these efforts will fall to the Secretary-General of NATO. The Secretary-General of NATO is the senior executive of the NATO staff. The SecGen is also responsible for facilitating the consensus-building process within NATO. Secretary-General Anders Fogh Rasmussen, the former Prime Minister of Denmark, is the North Atlantic Treaty Organization's 12th Secretary-General. Secretary-General Rasmussen officially assumed his duties in August 2009. Although development of the strategic concept is vital to the organisation, the strategic concept does not have the Secretary-General's primary attention. There is little opportunity for the Secretary-General to settle into his position with NATO fighting in Afghanistan and the strategic concept demanding attention. Yet NATO will need much more than a strategic concept. NATO struggles to translate its political and policy agreements into tangible results. For example, at the NATO summit in Prague in November 2002, heads of state endorsed the concept of the NATO Response Force. The NRF is intended to provide NATO with a credible, high-readiness joint force, able to quickly deploy in the full spectrum of the Alliance missions within or beyond the Euro-Atlantic region. 
The NRF is comprised of air, land and maritime components with a total force structure of approximately 25,000 personnel. The NATO response force is held on an alert status that ranges from 5 to 30 days. At the Riga summit in November 2006, the NRF was declared fully operational capable. Sounds impressive. Yet ask anyone at NATO where the NRF is and the answers may be awkward. Ask where the NRF is deployed, given NATO's missions and priorities, and again, there will be few answers. NATO is quick to advertise NRF exercises, but a review of the forces involved highlight that it is limited in size and assets, typically a few ships or a few aircraft for a short amount of time, and nothing close to what was described as being operationally capable. The truth is, as an organisation dedicated to the use of consensus, members will agree in principle to the concept of an NRF, but will then not provide the required forces. To this day, there are ongoing efforts to make the NATO response force a reality, rather than a conceptual exercise. NATO faces many challenges in accomplishing its goals and missions, and at times its own organisational structure can constitute a major impediment to progress. NATO, not unlike many international organisations, is a complex behemoth of an organisation. NATO can be functionally divided between its political, strategic and operational elements. Political and strategic authority is derived from NATO headquarters in Brussels, Belgium. Above and beyond all the military forces, the NATO headquarters staff itself is very large, with in excess of 1,700 personnel. In addition to this large staff are over 2,000 national representatives, and these people attend over 5,000 meetings in the course of one year. Not unlike the mandarins in Imperial China, the senior bureaucrats of the NATO staff in many ways set the tone of discussions. The NATO staff work for the Secretary-General and are often leading experts in their particular fields. Many of the senior staff are experienced policy analysts or military officers. The NATO staff recognises their unique role in the consensus-building process and are careful to draft documents that reflect the interests of most nations. Representatives of the member nations have final approval over any policy document, but to ignore the influence of the NATO staff is to ignore an important element in policy development. Although NATO would like the public to believe this process is smooth and relatively rapid, the process is incremental, long and halting. Initiatives have to be carefully navigated through the various committees with due regard to national interests. Not all nations participate actively in all committees and some delegations to NATO are relatively small and therefore can only reasonably cover those issues most of concern to their national authorities. Some delegations, like the United States, are so large that they can cover every committee and have tremendous influence over the entire policy process. One aspect of consensus is that policy is driven to the lowest common denominator. Some have cited that the process is effectively broken. For example, discussions have indicated that a combatant commander's urgent request may take 17 months to make its way through NATO before that request is implemented. For these reasons, NATO is considering the necessity of consensus at every level. There is discussion that consensus may be abandoned at the lower-level meetings as a means to accelerate the decision-making process. This would be a fundamental shift for NATO, but may be a necessary accommodation given the number of members. Sharing a strategic policy development role, as well as directing operational deployments, is the Supreme Headquarters Allied Powers Europe, also known by its acronym SHAPE headquartered near Mons in Belgium. SHAPE also shares headquarters with Allied Command Operations. 
As of November 2002, the leaders of the NATO member nations at the Prague summit decided that Allied Command Operations would be the one and only command with responsibility for all NATO operations. Subordinate headquarter elements provide further oversight and battlefield management as required. For example, NATO's primary mission is to support the International Security and Assistance Force, ISAF, in Afghanistan. ISAF is a United Nations authorised peacekeeping force and was established in December 2001 to provide assistance in restoring stability and self-governance to Afghanistan. Initially, the forces in Afghanistan were not under NATO command, however, ISAF operations became increasingly difficult to organise and sustain, and in August 2003, NATO agreed to take over responsibility for the ISAF forces and mission. NATO is in Afghanistan under the Charter of United Nations Resolution. There are five regional commands with Germany, Italy, France, the Netherlands and the United States serving as lead nations in the respective regions. As of August 2009, the highest strategic ISAF headquarters, located in Kabul, Afghanistan, was reorganised at the insistence of the United States. As a result of this reorganisation, a four-star general is assigned to focus on strategic, political, military considerations, while a three-star general in a lower headquarters focuses on tactical operations throughout the country. The five regional commanders take orders from the new ISAF command structure. This reorganisation highlights the tremendous influence the United States has on NATO operations. All of this coordination and harmonisation, as the Europeans refer to it, attempts to align member nations' interests to organisational goals. It's a daunting task. To highlight a few of the challenges, try imagining organising a block party with all of your neighbours. Imagine this block party will take significant resources and time from all neighbours. Not all neighbours can contribute equally, as some have more resources, while others have less to contribute, but all neighbours have an equal say, especially when it comes to the allocation of resources, such as spending the money set aside for the party. One challenge facing the party organisers is that the circumstances of the neighbours are all different. Some neighbours are wealthy, some have several tables and many chairs, some have music systems, others have large families to help set up, and some have experience organising block parties before. For other neighbours, this is the first time they've been invited to contribute to a block party. Some don't have any tables or food to share, and perhaps the household is small. Further complicating the planning, all the neighbours speak a different language and want to express their culture and ethnic diversity during the party. And everybody wants to play their own taste in music. Even though all neighbours agree all discussions will be conducted in one of two official languages, the fact that the common language may be a second or a third language for some neighbours, there are always challenges in explaining the subtleties of some of the more complicated planning aspects. Finally, the biggest challenge is that all neighbours must agree. The agreement is not by simple majority. All members must be in complete agreement unanimous agreement on every detail. This metaphor highlights several of the complications that NATO as an international organisation must manage. Except, of course, that NATO isn't throwing a block party. That's incoming. Do you hear it crack and it's incoming like that? That's 
mortars outgoing. Incoming, incoming. Whoa, whoa, whoa! Now try to imagine organising an operation where your fellow citizens' lives are on the line. Imagine communicating support for a decision to get involved, or remain in, a conflict that may not connect with the average citizen on a daily basis and involves operations several thousands of miles away. Imagine advocating for an operation where the only news that makes it back home is when one of your military service members, your fellow citizen, is badly injured or killed. As of this weekend, there have been 769 United States service members killed and almost 2,500 wounded in action and not returned to duty as part of the NATO mission in Afghanistan. The process of building consensus is continuous and takes place informally and formally. Consensus was accepted as the basis for all NATO decisions at the Alliance's inception in 1949. Within NATO headquarters are several levels of consultation and debating bodies ranging from the North Atlantic Council, the principal decision-making committee chaired by heads of state, or the duly appointed ambassadors, to several subcommittees staffed by junior representatives that may, for example, coordinate the technical standards for military equipment procurement. This breadth of coordination and deliberation can be complex, thorny and unwieldy, but most supporters of NATO will cite the impressive effect an agreed decision may have, as the decision is based on the consensus of all member nations. Unlike the United Nations, the European Parliament, the United States Congress or just about any political body, NATO is unique in not having an official voting mechanism, but instead requires unanimity to reach a decision. There is no simple majority. Managing coalitions and differing interests of member nations is key. But to say all participants are equal in all measures is also not accurate. The United States provides roughly one quarter of the funding for NATO, and also provides a disproportionate contribution in troops and capabilities. In fact, if it weren't for the United States, NATO would lack certain costly capabilities, such as in-flight refuelers and heavy air and maritime transport. On the other hand, if NATO focused more on its regional interests rather than continuing its global mission, fewer of those capabilities would be necessary. Regardless of the challenges to reaching consensus, NATO forces are busy. Take, for example, NATO Operation Ocean Shield, which many in the United States are either unaware of or have forgotten about. This is a, is a, is a very different operation that NATO is now in. It's Operation Ocean Shield. It's developed from uh, Operation Allied Protector. And, it, and it's a wider remit to provide uh, maritime security here in the area of the Gulf of Aden to protect the, uh, the uh, main shipping route. 22,000-odd ships are transiting through this area every year. And so it's a main uh, bloodline through to, uh, it's through to Europe uh, and, uh, and the uh, east, but also to provide broader maritime security to the fishing community and all the other DAOs that uh, are here, an integral part of trade and life here in the uh, Gulf of Aden. While it's early days, I think Ocean Shield has established itself as very effective alongside the other, uh, other forces uh, within theatre. And you, you've only have to look at the figures 
uh, to tell, you know, this time last year, uh, in the months of July, August and September, something like 12 ships had been successfully pirated. Today, touching wood, you know, only one has. Uh, you know, there were 19 ships being held by pirates. Today, there are only four. So, you know, we are making some progress. The international community is making some progress towards addressing this problem. NATO is much more complex than its official presentations to the public may suggest. NATO operates in a political context cognizant of the United Nations and the European Union. At times, statements and positions announced during NATO meetings may actually stem from issues within the European Union and vice versa. For example, the success of an application for membership to NATO may depend upon its alignment with the various national interests of its current members, rather than the NATO organisation as a whole. A well-documented example is the ongoing tension between Greece and Turkey. Turkey is a member of NATO and aspires to join the European Union, while Greece is a member of the European Union and NATO. Each nation has used its membership in the EU and NATO to intercede against the other's initiatives. At times, NATO meetings serve as a forum for member states to air grievances with other member states, and there is a compelling argument that airing such grievances in the well-structured environment of NATO is better than the alternative, going to war. NATO is conflicted. NATO prides itself on its contribution to lasting peace in Europe, yet is presently involved in combat operations far from its borders. NATO intends to develop a new strategic concept, but it may have too many members to effectively reach consensus. NATO was founded on consensus, but is considering dropping consensus at certain levels to compensate for its bureaucracy. All organisations have to adapt to remain relevant, but will these contradictions and changes undermine the foundation of NATO, such that NATO forgets its purpose? Next week's show will examine the changes NATO has experienced since the fall of the Soviet Union, and explore the United States' motives to participate in NATO. Thank you for listening, and join us next week on Dialectica.
Dialectica has been brought to you by the students of the LBJ School of Public Affairs in partnership with the LBJ Journal of Public Affairs. Sources for our show can be found on our website, which can be accessed through kbrx.org. Any opinions offered on this show do not necessarily reflect the views of the LBJ School of Public Affairs, the University of Texas, or KBRX Student Radio. Thank you to our producers and our guests, and remember, you are listening to KBRX Austin.